Welcome to the Rehope Podcast. Before we dive into this week's message, we'd like to provide you with some helpful resources. If you'd like someone to pray for you, it would be our joy to connect with you. So please email us at prayer at rehope.co.uk. If you'd like to get connected with an online Bible read-through group from wherever you are in the world, you can email brt at rehope.co.uk and be a part of a small group of people reading through the Bible cover to cover each year. Finally, if you would like to support the work and ministry of Rehope financially, you can do so online at rehope.co.uk slash giving. We pray you find this message encouraging, enlightening, and helpful. Enjoy. Hey, family, let me, let me bless you as we dive in this morning. I bless you now in the name of Jesus that you would know Jesus more wonderfully today. I bless you to receive healing if you need healing in your body, in your mind, in your emotions, in your spirit. I bless you to receive whatever guidance from God you need today, whatever help from God you need immediately. I bless you to have the courage and the resilience and the capacity to flourish and prevail over every challenge you're facing in your life right now. And I bless you to feel hope and joy and love, and peace, whatever is going on. I bless you with that in the name of Jesus. May it be. All right, good morning, family. We are going to wrap up our brief study here in the book of Ruth, a beautiful story about faith, about hope, and about love, about God's hidden hand of providence guiding events for goodness. For good things, for those who love him and who trust him and who have uh, followed him by faith. Now, before I dive into the story, I want to tell you a different story. It's connected, but an older story. One that takes place about 50 years before the story of the book of Ruth. God's people were on the edge of the promised land. And Joshua sends two spies in to spy out the land. The first place that they go, or the place that is, is named, is Jericho. And these spies go into the city and they go to the home of this woman named Rahab. Boom, exactly. And, and they go into this, but they're busted. They're, they're found out. And the, the officials of the city, they come to the door and they, they pound on Rahab's door and they say, send out the spies. We, we, we know that they came here. And Rahab had hidden them upstairs in uh, underneath uh, stuff <laughs> up on a roof. And she tells them, oh, they, they snuck out. They got away just before the, the doors were closed of, of the gate. Go after them. You'll, you'll catch them. I'm sure, I'm sure you will. And so, so they, they go on their way. And then Rahab has this faith moment. She negotiates with the spies because of this faith. Because she believes that the God of the, the Hebrews is powerful. She remembers the, the Exodus story. She believes that this God has given them this land, and she decides to go all in with God's people and completely walk away from her past and her past story. She decides to switch teams from team Canaanite to team Jesus. We don't know as team Jesus yet, but the, the team, team God's people. But again, cutting all with her past. And so she negotiates with the spies and she says, she says, here's the deal. If you promise, vow that I will live and my household will live, then I will let you live and I'll let you escape for, with your lives. 
And they're like, deal. So in faith, they make this thing, and she lowers the spies out of the window. She happens to live on the, the wall of Jericho. And so she lowers them out, and ultimately they make their way back to Joshua. A little bit later, the, God's people come to Jericho. They, they surround the place. They, they march around it time and time and time. Well, I, I don't want you to talk about the whole story, but ultimately the walls fall down, and everyone in Jericho is slain as God had directed. All the stuff of Jericho is dedicated to God, uh, except for the Achan stuff. There's a totally different story there, but basically all this stuff is de- devoted to destruction, and the only people who are allowed to live are Rahab and those in her home, those, those in her household. They're allowed to live. And, and I think about this, this woman, this Canaanite woman, <clears throat> the only one in her city that is still alive besides her family, everybody that she'd known, uh, all of her, her friends and, and best, they're, they're, all, they're all, I can't, I can't imagine the grief and the loss. It's not like she has all her fields still if she had fields or all her stuff still if she had stuff because all of Jericho is destroyed, never to be rebuilt for at least many, many generations here. And the stuff wasn't, the stuff was dedicated to God, all of the stuff in Jericho. So she is literally now amongst God's people as a foreigner with nothing. She, she just has nothing. She, she lost. Now, she threw in with God's people in faith, and she did survive, and she is alive, but she basically has nothing. I, I can't even imagine the, 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 the cocktail of emotions that she's feeling at, at this time. Now, what happens to her? Well, I don't know, but there seems to be a secret and beautiful love story that happens somewhere in this moment. I don't know all the details of what's going on, but in, in the genealogy in Matthew chapter 1, we discover an interesting thing about Rahab. The son of the tribal leader, we talked about him before, Neshon. He's probably passed away at this point, having just crossed, crossed the land here. But the son of the tribal leader of Judah was a guy named Salmo or Salma, Salmon. Or Salmon is usually how it's written in our Bibles. And he, so he's the son of the tribal leader, and he marries Rahab. He, 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 he marries this, this person. He is like the prince-ish of the tribe of Judah, and he marries this woman with nothing, this foreigner, and brings her into his family, and then they move to a little town of Bethlehem, and they settle there, and they have a son whom they named Boaz. They have a son named Boaz. Now, I would love to know more about that story, but that's about all we get in the Bible here. And now, flash forward about 50 years or so. And, and there had been a famine over the last decade or so in the land, and, and Abimelech, a very close relative of Boaz, decides to not trust God anymore to not live by faith, and instead to reject his inheritance, to reject trusting God because it's not looking good. And so he sells all of his fields. He sells them, and he takes the money and and his family, and he moves to Moab. Here's a map here of of the journey to Moab. It's not far geographically, but it is very far spiritually, especially when you are talking about following God. A little bit off is 
still in the land of off, all right? So, uh, so they move across the, the Rift Valley. Ten years later, ten years later, uh, he is dead, Elimelech. Uh, he, he's dead. Um, his, both of his sons are dead. And you find Naomi. Naomi, in her words, bitter, uh, afflicted, empty. I think the right order is bitter, empty, afflicted. I think that's how she describes herself in chapter one. Well, this story is Naomi's story. This is Naomi's story. Her journey from bitter to happy. Her journey from empty to full. Her story from afflicted to blessed and blessed and blessed. Anyways, so she she decides to return and her daughter-in-law comes with her. Here's a picture. This is not actually them. This, takes place, this is in, uh, I don't know, 1840, 1940, 1940 or so. But she, Naomi decides to return to Bethlehem. Her daughter-in-law, Ruth, goes with her. And Ruth makes this love vow to Naomi, this, this loyal love vow. She says, Naomi, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. This is, this is in faith. In, in faith, in faith, in faith, Ruth is cutting off the past of her life. She is cutting off going back. She had the chance to go back, but she, this is faith. I am all in in the God direction, and I'm cutting off the opportunity to return. I am vowing never to return. I am vowing where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. That's faith. I will not go back. I will only go after God. So she makes that vow. And then after, and then we get into chapter 2, and, and she's out working in the fields, and just so happens, led, led by the hidden hand of providence of God, finds herself working in a field owned by this guy named Boaz. They meet, he shows kindness and favor to her because he's, he's heard about this extraordinary vow, this loyal love that Ruth has. And after some weeks, Ruth asks Boaz to marry him, I guess, that's, that's a, to, to redeem her. There's more to it than just marriage. To take, to take her under his wing, to protect her, to provide for her, to bring her into his family, to redeem her, basically to renew her future, to renew her future. And basically, Boaz, all I'm asking for you is to take your wealth, whatever there is. I mean, there had been a famine for the last 10 years. It's not like anybody's swimming in it. Take your money and buy back all of the fields belonging to Elimelech and give them to me. Give them to my family. They won't be for your family anymore. I just want you to take all this money and basically give it to me. Marry me. You know, it's no big deal. Boaz says, that's a fantastic idea. I love that. And yet there's a, somebody who has a, a first claim. And so he goes to this area near the wall where there is a negotiation that takes place. There's a picture here of, of all the towns have a place like this, a U-shaped area, bench, benches, and it has to be big. It doesn't matter how big the city is. You know, in, in, in a little town of Bethlehem, you've got 10 elders there in, in this discussion. And then you've got the other guy and Boaz, so 12 total. It's going to be this seating area. You see them all over the place in, in all the towns and cities, kind of near the wall or built into the wall, depending on the size of the wall. 
But, but they, they go there and, uh, because there's somebody that has a better claim than Boaz is. And ultimately, the guy says, no, he's not going to take his great wealth and purchase all this stuff back from Elimelech. What Elimelech had sold foolishly in his faithlessness and give it to Ruth. That would jeopardize his own family stuff. And so um, Boaz was like, okay, great. I would like to do that. That sounds wonderful. So he buys it back. Uh, Boaz buys it back. Again, at great cost. At great cost to his own family, to his own legacy, to his own people. He damages his own family future for Ruth's and Ruth's family future. In fact, maybe you think this way, maybe you don't, but Elimelech was an idiot. He was a faithless... He sold and he moved away. I don't know how much compassion you tend to, oh yeah, you, he sold and squandered all, all my, my near relatives sold and, and now, now his, his wife comes back and with, with his daughter-in-law and he wants me to take my wealth and buy all of his stuff back? Like what? That's not fair. He, he, he wasted his money and fortune and, and stuff, but that's, that's what's going on here. Boaz, though, is a redeemer. He's motivated by love. And also, though, God's hidden hand is at work. God's hand and and heart is at work uh, for this woman who's lost everything, this foreigner. She's without hope, um, but she's turning to God. I mean, when I think of Boaz, I'm like, wow, talk about following in the footsteps of the faith of his father. The the story of of, of Sam and, and, and Rahab, and the story of, of Boaz and Ruth, they're, they're so, so similar with, with, with the, the themes there. But you, you see the faith, you think like, like father, like son. Like father, like son, like, like Jesus. Jesus, you see this, this, this series of faith, people paying a price, an unfair price, to bring people part of the family so that they can have an inheritance forever. It's a beautiful story. Now, this, this love story, this, this faith story, this story about hope, it's, it's not your normal love story. And I, and I keep trying to articulate to you that, uh, that it, there's weirdnesses here. And so I, I found a picture to help you with the weirdness. All right? So this is not Boaz and Ruth. But this is the sheik of Ramallah, just north of Jerusalem, in the year 1910 and his wife. But this is, this is helpful. So you can see, like, he is much older than his young wife there. That's what you're thinking when you're, when you're picturing this story. Something like this with Boaz and, and Ruth. Something along, along those lines. And it's this Ruth who is like, marry me. I've got nothing, but you've got enough to buy me a future. And he does. And they get married, and, and I just want to remind you, like, sometimes love just doesn't follow that socially normal path, right? It, 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 uh, this was, their story is definitely different, special, but, but there, there's love there, probably a lot like the Rahab story as well. Well, we haven't finished our story yet. You're like, wow, this is, this is so gripping, Brian. I could just listen to you talk all day, and that's not true, but... It feels like this is the Boaz and Ruth story, but it's not. It's the Naomi story. It's the Naomi story. And yes, Ruth and Boaz are a big part of that, but it's the Naomi story. It begins with her and it ends with her. Let me show you what happens in verse 9 here. Starting in verse 9 at the end of chapter 4. It says this, Boaz 
said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses today that I am buying from Naomi everything that belonged to Elimelech, Kilian, and Malon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabitess, Malon's widow, as my wife, to perpetuate the deceased man's name on his property so that his name will not disappear among his relatives or from the gate of his hometown. You are witnesses today. Okay, first of all, again, he's just acquired all the fields back. He's just, per- just, just as a reminder picture here, this is the picture we've been looking at. The fields of Bethlehem, there's the town up on the top there. The, the, the little fields are starting down the bottom corner out here, and they keep fading out that direction. Um, here's another picture a little bit further that direction, looking backwards. Uh, these fields um, in, in Bethlehem, or near Bethlehem there. It's in these fields somewhere, Boaz owns some of them, and these are some that he is purchasing back from Elimelech's um, estate. He's buying them back so Naomi and Ruth can have, can have a future. That, that's all happening right here, and I just want to keep sticking it in your mind that these are the fields that are going to be part of the family, the Ruth family, f- for, for now on. Like, these are going to be passed down from descendant to descendant, these, these fields out here in Bethlehem. Okay, so he buys back the fields, and then, verse 11, all the people who were at the city gate, including the elders, said, we are witnesses. And then blessings, guys, just lots of blessings. May Yahweh, may the Lord make the woman who is entering your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built the house of Israel. May you be powerful in Ephrathah and your name be well known in Bethlehem. May your house become like the house of Perez, son of Tamar, born to Judah, because of the offspring Yahweh the Lord will give you by this young woman. Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. He slept with her, and Yahweh the Lord granted conception to her, and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, the women said to Naomi, blessed be Yahweh the Lord, who has not left you without a family redeemer today. May his name Become, no, become well known in Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. Indeed, your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Naomi took the child, placed him on her lap, and became his nanny, nursemaid, carer. The neighbor women said, a son has been born to Naomi. And they named him Obed, worshiper of God. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Okay, so picture here. Also, not the original. Also, about 100 years ago. Actually, this is uh, 1940-ish in Bethlehem. But it's... It's the Naomi story that we're talking about, right? It's the Naomi story. She becomes the mother figure. She adopts her grandson. She will be raising Obed. The the neighbors are like, a son has been born to 
Naomi. Like, like she is the one that's going to be raising it. So then all the adoption rights are going to be going from Naomi and Elimelech's amounts of estates, not just Malone's and Ruth's uh, estates. He's going to be the inheritor of the whole thing. And now we look at Naomi here, and we look at her journey. She was once bitter, and now she's happy. She was once empty, now she's full. She, she, she has a future. She has all the inheritance back. Boaz bought it all back. She has all the inheritance back, and, and she has this uh, and she has this uh, adopted child now in, in her arms to carry on her legacy. She, she was once afflicted. She claimed to be afflicted, and now she's blessed and blessed and blessed. She was blessed by the, the people at the city gate. She was blessed by the elders of the town in verse 11. She was blessed in verse 14 by the women uh, of the town. She is just blessed and blessed and blessed again. What a turnaround! What a turnaround. It's, it, it's amazing. It's amazing, amazing. But there's one more thing. Verse 17. The neighbor women said, A son has been born to Naomi, and they named him Obed, worshiper of God. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now let's just see what the happy genealogy. What a way to end a book. Now, these are the family records of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. Okay, so you have this Obed guy who is, who is the son here. Naomi's son, Ruth and Boaz's son. I don't know exactly how to refer to this, but, but their son. He's the grandpa of the future king. He's the grandpa of future King David, this, this worshiper king. God, this worshiper king, the writer of so many psalms. A man after God's own heart. David wasn't just like David from no, nowhere. David was a man who had a great spiritual heritage and chose to walk in it. He had his spiritual heritage, and he chose to walk in it, in faith, in love. David knows how to have hope in the darkest moments of life. He could look at his great-grandmother's story. He could look at his great-great-grandmother's story. David knows that God can help in the most hopeless of situations, and you see that marked throughout his life. You see him a worshiper throughout his life. You see him full of faith all his life, full of hope, full of love. I mean, he's, he's just an extraordinary man walking in the legacy of his ancestors, whether it's a leadership like Nishan or whether it's, um, you know, the salmon who, who loved and redeemed Rahab of Jericho or whether it's Boaz who loved and redeemed Ruth of Moab or Obed who, who is named worshiper of God. And you've got this, like, the most unashamed ancient worshiper that we know of, right? undignified worshiper because if it's lived in family heritage of faith can be so significant if you will learn the faith lessons from faith-filled ancestors it will set you stronger for your generation and if you don't no problem then you get to be the ruth 
You get to be the Rahab. You get to be the person that says, I let go of my past forever. I will never go back that way again. And I am going to be all in in following God. And that becomes your legacy to the future generations. Powerful, powerful stuff. David is the worshiping shepherd boy who becomes king. Picture here, you know, when he's out in the field shepherding David, when he's, when he's shepherding, it's on Ruth's land. Like, that's his inheritance, right? You, it's the exact same fields. Like, Ruth passes it to Obed. Obed passes it to Jesse. Jesse, like, this is the family fields. Ruth's field, the story, the story is, is, is all connected. It's, it's, it's this legacy being passed down that Boaz redeemed and passes it down here in Bethlehem, these fields near Bethlehem that are belonging to this, this family. And, and then you read something like this in the Bible. And there were shepherds in the fields nearby Bethlehem keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for I bring you good news of great joy for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, Bethlehem, a Savior a Savior who is Christ, the Messiah, the Lord. That's all part of this legacy. These fields near Bethlehem. Sometimes the, the story of Boaz and Ruth, maybe it seems very special, and, and yet you track that legacy through King David and then all the way down to the birth of Jesus, who is, who is also a descendant of Rahab, who is also a descendant of Ruth and Boaz. You track it all the way down and you're like, sometimes those faith moments in our life are, are so significant, generation after generation. We get to celebrate Jesus, the Savior of the world. This, this book is a, it's a book about faith. Bigger than how, what we would expect. Bigger than what we see. It's a book about hope. It's a book about, about love. And I mean, love being the obvious one. Oh, yay, Na Ruth loves Naomi and makes this bow. And then Boaz and Ruth, and they, they love each other. That's, that's nice. Maybe more so, it's, it's a story about faith. And what happens when you give up on faith, like Elimelech? The devastating consequences of being like, famine, I don't trust God with my situation. I trust me. And just the devastating consequences there, but also that faith expressed in the return of Naomi, the faith expressed in, the, in, in Ruth, saying, okay, I'm in with this God. And, the, and, and even the faith expressed with, with Boaz, and, and he might be the more uh, remarkable one, this, this man who has all this lifelong, he didn't turn away when the famine was rough. He stayed going, rich, deep faith, going back generations. I love that. But the reason why I wanted to teach this book was hope. When I looked at this book and when I considered this I don't know, months ago now, it was, it was the hope for everyone and every situation that just leaped out at me. The, the hope for the, for the people like, like, like the Ruths who are, who are out there, 
who are far from God, who look at their life situation, they've got nothing. Hope for what happens if you just turn away 100% from, from your past and you walk 100% all in on Jesus, all in on God, all in on the Savior. What happens when you make that shift? Not just, not just like I'm going to test the waters. I am never going to go back and I'm going to vow my future to God until where you're buried, I'm buried. Until the end. And when you and you just see what happens when somebody throws themselves in faith on God to the end of their lives, and, and just seeing that the worst of backgrounds, the most far from God backgrounds, there's hope for them as they turn to Jesus. There's a future. Or, or hope for the Naomi types who, who, who have walked away from God in the past and they have experienced devastation after devastation, like devastating consequences that they would have never imagined. As they've walked away from God, God's path for their life, and they, and they wake up one day feeling so far away from them, without hope, broken, bitter, empty. What happens when, when those people who have walked away from God decide to return? Could there really be hope after all that we've done? Yes, there is. There is start overs. And it's not just, okay, I'll let you back in. It is, I will bless you. And Naomi moves not just from far away, but from blessed and blessed and blessed. And the way that God navigates her future, so extraordinary. There's hope for the Naomi. There's hope for the Boazes. And maybe we don't talk about this all that much, but the people who have walked faithfully with God. I love this about Boaz's story. He walked with God and was richly rewarded. He walked with God faithfully, and you know what God did? He divinely guided into his field a very expensive marriage. <laughs> but worth it. He, he divinely brought to this godly man, a, a woman that maybe only he would be brave enough to love. Because of her past, because of the costs, because of the jeopardy to his estate. But God saw his godly heart and entrusted him with the treasure that was Ruth. Because he was godly and faithful. Love that. God is really real. And I, I just need to keep reminding you of this. Sometimes we live through life and we, we just let that little fact disappear. But God is real. A and he's active. And he leads. And he guides. He shapes things. He, he directs paths. He brings people with his hidden hand of providence together, and he, he brings about blessings when we, can, when we can see none. God is very actively at work. You can trust him in faith. You can trust him. You can trust God, and you can trust his son, Jesus of Nazareth, with the forgiveness of your sins and your future, your future with him. My challenge for you today is this. I want you to list five reasons you can have hope. 
because of Jesus for your most hard-to-hope situations. I think this might be one of the poorest worded challenges, but potentially powerful. To take your situations, your hard-to-hope situations, and to write five reasons why in Jesus you can have hope for that situation. Be really, really helpful. Really helpful. Game-changing. Ah, let me pray for us. God, we love your word. We love your word. We, love, we ask for you to increase our faith, to cr- increase our hope, to increase our joy, to increase our love. I'm going to give you guys a moment here in, in the quietness where you can, you can have your conversation with God. And maybe for some of you, it is, I am here to return And I I don't use that as in like, I've completely abandoned God, but maybe you've kind of gotten off God's path. Maybe big picture, maybe just in some choices that you've been making that aren't the godly ones. You're like, you know what, God? You are real, and I'm going to get back on your path. You can ask God in the, in the quietness to direct your path to good places. If you need help, towards help. If you need provision for provision, direct your path to good places. And if you want to give your life to Jesus or recommit your life to Jesus, Suggest praying something like this. God, here I am. I dedicate or I rededicate. I vow my life for as long as I live to following you. Where you want me to go, there I will go. Where you want me to stay, there I will stay. Your people will be my people. You will be my God. Fill me with your spirit. Lead me in your way. In Jesus' name, amen.